everybody, and welcome to another special episode. Special episode of Movie Mumble, the uh, first of our holiday season bonus episodes. Woo! We're all so weary. It's so early in the morning. Um, and no, in November. Yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, Tim dates the podcast. <laughs> so I'm still drinking pumpkin spice. That's, that's where we're at. <laughs> that's a personal decision. Uh, much like the Halloween episodes where we each picked one Halloween-styled film. Style. Uh, we are now each picking one holiday season-related film. Uh, of course, we're going in standard order. Joel, myself, and Tim. And Joel, you brought us... White Christmas. White Christmas. Irving Berlin's White Christmas. That's right. More right. particularly. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's in the title. You know? Don't want no lawyers coming after it. <laughs> Nobody has had a more Nazi-sounding name than Irving Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds like, like the guy from those movies where, you know, the hero is, is you know, B.J. Blazkowicz or something, and then, you know, the villain is Irving Berlin. <laughs> Joe Montana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Not fictional. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, so uh, what? Uh, just tell us about White Christmas, Joel. Why White Christmas? So, um, growing up, I guess through middle school and high school, um, my nuclear family and I would always go to Goodwill, and usually I was getting paperbacks and stuff, but we had a, a pretty big VHS collection, and mm-hmm. we were looking for stuff, and my sister and I kind of picked up, well, my mom picked it up, I guess. It was just this white christmas vhs and just it had sat once we got it home from goodwill it sat in our uh like organizer thing for like a year or two never having watched it never had our parents force us to watch it <laughs> so my sister and i are downstairs and we're trying to figure out okay it's christmas time but we don't want to watch any of the things that we always watch over and over and over again it's like well let's give this a try and we put it in and it's this delightful 50s era musical with very little ties to Christmas and it it just we fell in love with it it was just really funny and really fun and it it's it's a great musical great music and pretty interesting character dynamic between Bing Crosby and Danny fucking K that's where that quotation was from now, um, yeah now I know the origin I'm so happy I can tell my whole family <laughs> the greatest Christmas rant of all time partially inspired by this movie and I mean like it was a love at first watch type situation after that year we watch it every year it's a big tradition between especially me and my sister and my mom and dad were like really surprised at like you guys you watch this without us coaxing you, and you really like this movie. That's weird. It's it's a fun one. I, I it's something that always makes me feel like it's Christmas. It's, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You mentioned it occurs to me that your film in particular is Christmas related. Yeah, and I, sometimes we end up talking on this podcast about things like women women's representation in film. And then being very acutely aware that none of us are women. Right. Um, I am now suddenly acutely aware that none of us are Jews right. or anything other than than white Christians right. mm-hmm. from from semi nuclear families. Um, <laughs> so this is going to go really well. Yeah, I mean, it, holiday <laughs> is code yeah. for Christmas, in, I guess. In this country, it is, very yeah. much so. Um, so so yeah. So I White Christmas is as as Joel mentioned a pretty pretty big musical. It's your yeah. standard sort of huge song and dance plot serves the songs you want to string together a musical. Yeah. 
And, and it's uh, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great. He says, all right. And that's it. End of podcast. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. But uh, um, I have a lot of experience with musicals, uh, partly because I worked with a musical theater for 10 years. And then partly just because I've I've watched a lot of musicals because I enjoy them too. Old. <laughs> I mean, I started when I was fourteen. So. Well, don't say that. <laughs> I'm editing it out. You just sound old. Oh, okay, <laughs> I'm old. Um, Almighty editor. But I, it, I was thinking when we were watching White Christmas that part of the reason I like this is just that it's not sitting in the rain. <laughs> like, that, like on a personal level, any like musical <laughs> needs what well, any musical needs as a foundation is the for me to to. To at least not dislike it uh-huh. is just to not be sued in the rain. <laughs> and, and that's largely due to the production I worked on. Right. But um, the thing that's nice about this is it's, it's not a, a sing the exposition musical. Yes. Thankfully. And it's also like... Like sitting in the rain is. Right. The frame of it, the reason why there's songs and dances and they don't have anything to do with the era or Christmas is because the, they're this comedy, this duo, this... this yeah crooner and comedian producer duo song and dance act and thing, yeah. that that is part of their whole way of interacting with the world so it makes yeah. sense that they just go off to this weird uh yeah. florida what, what was it i can't florida remember locale the, and, yeah. yeah and and whenever so often you see a a performance of some song or some month some number it just makes no sense in relation to Christmas or the plot or to sisters, anything. Sisters, uh, sisters. I love that song. It's because they they're performers, so yeah. they're just practicing or performing for the act that they do for a living. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole show within a show, yeah. which I definitely am not tired of at this point. <laughs> but it's done much better here than it is in other places because, as as you mentioned, Joel, in other places they try to string string things together much more firmly. Right. The show within the show has to make sense within the regular show, and the plots have to feed off each other. No, right. this is just everything comes to a halt for a moment while we watch this enjoyable musical number, and then we'll go back to your film. It's interesting though that there's one one number in particular that interacts specifically with is the the Carousel Club when um, it's not Judy. Who's the other one? Oh, uh, she's played by Judy. And they Garland. end up dancing on the docks and everything. No, 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 no. This is this is later when uh, the sister goes solo. And she oh, goes yes. to New York, and she sings "Love You Didn't Do Right By yeah. Me," and she's like, "We shouldn't do that number." And it's like fueled by like this frustration, and then she realizes Bing Crosby's character is there. She's like, "Oh, I don't want to do that one." And it's this really powerful, kind of tonally different than anything else in the movie. Yeah, that that was really interesting. That's, but it does make sense because it's she ran off. She's going to do that number yeah. to to send it out, and then. Oh, but he's here. I don't want to do that to him. The whole reason I left was to leave him in peace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say the similarly that that un, that misunderstanding that leads to that whole string of events mm-hmm. is it is you know on the one hand it's your typical no one talks to each other around here right. type of thing, but it makes infinitely more sense than the other films and plays and whatnot that have done it because instead of going for the entire duration of whatever's happening without anybody saying you know three words to each other Bing Crosby says to her like okay I don't get it like have I done something wrong like please tell me right but then you see on her face the struggle with like well we have to be professional right while we perform but I'm also bothered but then like I overheard him well she thinks you overheard him so I don't want to like <laughs> reveal that so she, she says to him willingly like 
Like, no, I don't want to talk about it. Let's just keep working. Like, she makes the choice. But then later, when she realizes what happened, she goes, like, I'm sorry, if I'd talked to you about this, we would have been okay. It's the type of the type of miscommunication that actually happens in real life right. as opposed to the type of miscommunication that happens consistently from minute one to minute to the last minute of every romantic comedy ever right. made. <laughs> um, and Pioneered gives... by Wuthering Heights, actually. That's probably oh. the first most significant one of those mishearings that leads to plot development. Well, there you go. Says the Bronte scholar. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I'll just put my degree away. <laughs> but, but it's it's otherwise, the film is a, a nice sort of refreshing just natural progression of people doing things that make sense. Um, the the little prologue is our two main characters giving their general in World War II a, a send-off as he oh, is retired it. to the back of the line yeah. for the rest of the war and his retirement. And uh, they come across him running this lodge, this ski lodge, yeah. and kind of fall on hard times, and they say, let's help him out. Let's put on a show and bring, bring an audience to fill his lodge. And that's it. That's your premise. Yeah. It takes a while to get there. But that's fine, you know? Yeah. Well, this is one of the things I wondered. Did they ever say how much time took place between the beginning and the end? Well, the beginning, they mentioned the Battle of the Bulge, I think. It's 1944 slash... It's Christmas 1944. Right. They say that. Cause, yeah, because... The war was over by Christmas 1945, and right. landed in Europe in June. But I think specific, like once uh-huh. they're they've done the time jump and they're already producers mm-hmm. from that time, because they, before they go and see the Haynes sisters perform in Florida, because they're in Florida for a show, they say we're we're about to give them Christmas off, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like this Christmas break. So they go up to the uh, to Vermont, and then they bring all the show up and they pay everybody double, and they so it's it's like. It just goes from like two weeks before Christmas to Christmas is kind of the span. Yeah, but of that I think time. Tim is asking about the whole lodge sequence. What year is it? Or, like, is it nineteen forty six yeah. or nineteen fifty three? Oh, because well, the first or, time I watched it, you almost get this you know, like, not that I thought it legitimately only took one year, but like the fact that it kind of does that. It starts with Christmas and ends with Christmas. So it has this nice sort of like right. cyclical thing to it. But it's just like, wait, that couldn't have all happened in just one year, right? Because so, they like, they start as a duo and then they. They have get a super review, famous, and then they're and, you know, producers. Yeah. So it, it's it's a span of a, a f- several Number years, I guess. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure. Enough for like the guys who come back and they don't fit in their uniforms or anymore. Oh, that's you know? right. <laughs> it must have shrunk. <laughs> <laughs> I love General Waverly as a character. It just yeah, he was great. Yeah. He's so you you kind of well cast the role yeah, too. well cast and that first kind of human moment you see of him is like you're gonna take the new general down the shortcut wait base is that way I know that you and know the that. private knows <laughs> yeah. that but he, doesn't he does that. yeah that sergeant will be a private in the morning yes isn't he lucky just the, the the he loves being a soldier he loves taking care of his men and the the fact that he comes in for the show the when they're in the forward area yeah. and everybody around him realizes he's there and they're going to stand at attention he's, he's like, like sit down sit, let's, yeah. let's enjoy show. it it's just he great casting great performance just such a great character and an understandable character mm-hmm. I, the, he, the classic heroic military leader right who yeah. doesn't yeah. figure yeah. doesn't have a place after the war after the war right yeah. well I also like that they, they show this sense of like 
he has their respect because he's earned it and he he's a hard ass when he needs to be right. but they understand that whereas like you, you definitely get the sense with this new general coming in like this is my show now and right. they're gonna do what the fuck I say because I say so right. there was and, the sense yeah. of the la parade ground um, naivete of the new guy mm-hmm. right you not know, knowing what it's like to be, be at the front yeah. on right. the but then you get out of Sergeant Himmelstoss in All Quiet on the Western Front or Lieutenant Dyke in Band of Brothers um, you were just a wealth. Hey, uh, <laughs> World War Two. Well, the first one was World War One, but but oh, yes. Okay. Um, See, yeah. <laughs> come on, Joel. Actually, I guess it fits Lieutenant the World War One character, Lieutenant Himmelstoss, more. He's the the this the ridiculous sort of eighteen hundreds drill sergeant they trained under at the beginning, doing having them do parade marches and whatnot. Ah, I see. And he finally ends up at the front instead of training like two years later. You know, when the war is in much more dire straits, and they come across him, and he's just panicked and doesn't know what to do and it's right. it's like it's a, it's a it's a farce watching him be on the front right. you know because of all that parade ground bravado is useless and yeah. vanished but uh anyway yeah so it's it's a it's really an immediate connection to the general waverly character and so as soon as he's brought back they don't need to bring up any explanation you know it's right. just oh yeah it's it's him he's one of the lodge now like great we they love him we know why they love him we love him too yeah it's just I, one of my favorite lines is comes up before a pretty emotional point in the story is where uh, Bing Crosby's character comes back and he's got I guess he's Bill Wallace right Phil Davis is Danny Kaye Bob Wa- Bob Wallace is Bing Crosby's character he's coming back from getting the mail and he's uh, the general's put in for uh, to come back into the army and yeah. Bing Crosby pulls out and. Uh, is going to read it for him because he can't read it because he doesn't have his glasses. And then Bing Crosby goes, I'm starting to play trombone too as he's adjusting the distance <laughs> of the letter. And then he's reading it to him and he just, you see in Waverly's face that he's realized that he's telling him thanks but no thanks. Yeah. You, like, it, it just, it, 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 it's not, it's pretty light. You know, it, it, it handles kind of like not having a role after the war, which is heavy, but it's not dealing with like, PTSD or shell shock or anything mm-hmm. at, at that time it would have been shell shock or anything it, it's pretty lightweight but it, it, it does deal with very human emotions and sadness about not having a role anymore and trying to find a new way you know it, it's it's great I just love this movie so much one of the things that I really liked was I remember when Bing Crosby sang White Christmas at the very beginning, and I was like, okay, like, they've already shot their wad, like, how are they gonna, how are they gonna top this, you know? Like, just from a purely musical standpoint, you know, I mean, obviously, like, where the story goes is, like, super emotional and touching and everything, but then the production they do of White Christmas at the very end, I was like, okay, this is how you top that, you (laughs) know? Okay, great, you know? And just, yeah, just those bookends for me, and I mean, I mean, you know, I, I would probably, if I watched this again, I would probably skip the middle, just because, like, you know, if I was going to watch it as a Christmas movie, it's just like, well, I want the Christmas parts, you know. Gotcha. But, um, yeah, just, like, the the whole production they put on at the end, like, that by itself was just like, yeah, this Christmas, this is great, you know. It was yeah. like, um, you know, see, you know, having, I mean, you know, the, the, the journey that the four of them take to all come together at the end and to be, you know, performing it together and all that, that was a great part of it, too. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, it was just yeah the, the the purely quote unquote Christmas part of it, you know, to have that like okay yeah this is White Christmas so we're doing White Christmas well wait a minute like where do you go from there you right. know? 
but yeah, I love that. I think that's something that my sister and I really liked about it was just it, it broke up the this is a Christmas movie and every single second of right. it is dripping in Christmas. Yeah. Just like <laughs> it's it's hard to watch Christmas Vacation without I mean it's an advent calendar to show you how time right. passes. Like yeah. it's all culminating in that. So it was just kind of a like this is a fun musical. This is like watching Grease with Christmas on either end of it. Like, it, it just... I love the choreography number. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I was just thinking that was maybe my least favorite part of the Really? Film. Why is this? It's because it goes on for too long. Ah. Like, I, I mean, the, the number itself is fine, and the dancing is phenomenal. But then, like, we get halfway through it, and I'm kind of wondering, like, is the film going to continue at some point? Like, not even forget the Christmas part. Like, just... We get it. They're rehearsing, and this number is impressive. But like, are we gonna keep going? <laughs> and no, that's fair. Well, um, I think that the uh, the minstrel show, um, which has its own storied history of being terrible and bad, mm. but they don't show any of the the blackface characters or anything yeah. in it. But like the Mandy, there's a minister Handy is a huge production, and yeah. it goes on for a long time. And the purpose of that, I guess, is to show it's this huge dress rehearsal. And there's three people watching it, and the lodge is empty to see it anyway. And yeah. by the time we get to the choreography number, that's been it, established. It's been established, yeah. so it's just extra. But I, just, I, I love Danny Kaye just that's, he's, playing those. He's two. great though in that role. Yeah. I'll, be, I'll be fair. That, his choreography bit is just yeah, it's just, just amazing. the the theater the aspect yeah. of it. Like it, he's he just embodies that so well. And then he he has that facade, and then when the beat hits. He kind of snaps out of it back to the comedian again, yeah. and it, it's just that interplay is so fun. He's a great performer. I, 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 there's, I keep meaning to watch it, and there's one I think it's called The Jester, where he plays a court jester, and I think he's like a comedian from, like, the current time would have been, which would have been like the fifties, who's sent back in time and has to <laughs> navigate as a jester for this medieval court. And like I, it's almost like I've been saving it because I don't want to watch it too soon. <laughs> like I want to have it <laughs> as a like an old years thing. I don't know. It, it. I just. And this was the first movie I had ever seen him in. So it was. I don't even know if I could name another movie he's been in. He's just so funny and such a great counterpoint to Bing Crosby, who's like, yeah. The two of them together are. <laughs> Phenomenal. Bane is the serious, the straight gentleman, straight laced gentleman, and crooner, and and uh, Danny Kaye is the comedic act, yeah. the the sort of can slip into slapstick when necessary, very physical and yeah. big motion, facial expression, excited comedy guy. And yeah. The two of them next to each other are great. I also like uh, one of you commented when they were doing one of the things, like the difference between the two as they're doing like the the, the steps is like you know Bing Crosby is walking Danny Kaye is dancing yeah you know like the way their feet are moving they're taking the same steps at the same time but yeah Bing Crosby is just kind of casually okay walks diagonally to the left and forward and Danny Kaye like the way his feet are, they're moving like water you know and it's yeah. just like right. oh yeah okay I see every that inch of what Danny Kaye does is yeah. that that dancer's precision and yeah whereas everything that Bing Crosby does is that sinner's performance you know, right. the sort of smooth walk up to the audience, but you know, right. the actual steps don't matter as much as the entire body image. Right. Whereas for Danny Kaye, it's all every single step yeah. exactly right. where it should be. It yeah. reminded me of like the the move from like the radio single to the music video, right? The idea mm. that singer stage presence had to be there for a concert, but you didn't have to sell it with 
performance that way before. So you had singers, and so, like I think specifically with the Eagles, um, Don Henley was he has talked about this like. I'm a drummer. I was behind, like, it was his solo career, and he's like, I have to look interesting in a video and be, like, I have to <laughs> come out of that. And the crooner, nothing bothers the crooner, right? Like, yeah. every, it, he's a straight man, and he, he can sing and hold everybody in the palm of his hand. He doesn't have to move. But the comedian is always going for the next gag, is always mm-hmm. giving every inch of himself to every part of the performance. So it's such a great... You could the when you look at the feet the two, right, yeah. when you look at the feet it's very present there, and it, it's a different dynamic than even like a, a Lewis and a Martin, because Dean Martin see he's always got like a a wink to it the comedian side of it he's a straight man and that that duo is probably the most iconic of any of these pairings, but Dean Martin kind of was in on the joke the whole time yeah. sometimes you you don't get the feeling that Bing is on in on the joke like he, he's he's the wall against Danny Kay to be throwing things you know yeah. it's they almost like they, they, they kind of seem to have almost this big and little brother kind of relationship yeah. you know yeah. where he's just like you know like Bing Crosby is the guy who you know grew up and got a job working at his dad's used car sales you know and, and, and here's the little brother who like you know wants to be you know a dancer and an artist and is kind of like you know and you, you, there's this love between the two but you get yeah, almost this sense of like okay well we gotta be serious now. <laughs> you know and it's just like and you it's know the little kid's thing. just like bouncing around doing whatever you know and and it's like, and but 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 I think that's what sort of helps take it to that next level. You know, it's it it almost seems so much less like it was an act, and just like these two people, this is just what their relationship is like right. all the time. You know, it was it was just way more organic. You know, I thought than than like other duos I've seen where, um, yeah, where they're kind of bouncing lines off each other, and it's just like yes, this is very well written and scripted and rehearsed. Whereas with them, it was like. I don't know if it was a mannerism thing, but it just yeah, it seemed like this this older protective brother kind of aura that he brought to it. Felt very natural. Yeah, and that was I'm sure intentional because they want to to have them be the counterpoint to the two sister characters mm-hmm. who are actually sisters. Right, right. Like the characters are actually sisters, so they needed our two male characters to feel like brothers. Mm-hmm. So that we get these two duos and have the two younger ones team up to put the two older ones together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was also cool, kind of, when they first see the Haynes sisters, that it's like, what about those brown eyes? No, they're blue. Like, they don't have... They're not fighting after one. <laughs> no. They, like, oh, right. they avoid sisters. that cliche of, yeah. like, the two guys fighting over the one girl. Like, it was, mm-hmm. it was really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and Danny's the one who realizes it first. Because Danny says, what about those brown eyes? And Ben says, no, they're blue. No, they're brown. No, they're blue. And Danny looks over at him and sees where he's looking yeah. at the other sister. And goes, oh, yeah, blue. And like, because he's like, he's, he's been trying decided. to set him up. He's like, mm-hmm. going to let it, yep, yep, there we go, perfect. <laughs> Done. <laughs> and see, I, we were talking about the writing. When, when they come off stage and they're talking about... Uh, um, You've uched me along this whole thing. He's uh, being is talking to Kay about like you. You love being Roger. He says you love being Rogers and Hammerstein. Just the the cadence and the rapid fire delivery mm-hmm. of those, and it doesn't feel unnatural in like a, a fast talking high trousers type thing. Yeah. But it's just like delivery <laughs> of lines like that yeah. doesn't comfortable. Yeah. Right. Just, it, yeah. Two people who have spent so much time with each other. Right. You know? And it, it was. I, 
said it very poorly, but it's just really no, interesting well. and and fun to watch. And you love the cadence of it. It's like I want you to get married. I want you to have nine children. And if you just spend five, five minutes, minutes a day with them, that's 45 minutes. And I had time to go get a massage or something. <laughs> like, and then it, it kind of they, they're kind of comedically going back and forth. And then Bing kind of brings it down. It's like, there's a lot of truth in what you're saying. And, like, it's just hard. I want to settle down. But in our business, like... We don't and, meet those kinds of people here. They're right. all the younger up-and-comers who are career-focused, he even says. Right. And they know. have that dynamic. And it's that really... I never heard you open up like that. It's like, I'll get working on those nine kids for you. It's 45 yeah. minutes going to be enough. I'll let you know if I need more. Like, just <laughs> yeah. that dynamic is <laughs> so, it's so good. Well, I like that that part yeah. comes up later, too, isn't it? When he's talking to the other sister and she's like, oh, why are you so quick to get him hitched? He's like, because I want my 45 minutes. You know, it's like that's that concept is what's driving him. That's yeah. the core of it is the 45 minutes yeah. to myself. And she's like so confused. <laughs> Not just I want minutes? my friend to be happy. Like, I want 45 minutes. <laughs> And I love the, like, uh, give me one good reason why we should do this. Well, we're doing it for a friend of the art. Well, it's good. It's not good, but it's a reason. And it comes back. It just comes back enough to remind you that that was a cute joke. It's the air of two friends making their own inside joke. Right, yeah. yeah. And, and he just, just keeps rubbing it. his arm whenever he wants to do something. <laughs> it's so funny that, like, he cajoles Wallace into doing the, the, the duo thing. And then it just, he... Wallace becomes the one that's pushing it even harder after the yeah. fact. It's like, you liked being Rogers and Hammondstein. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you went absolutely crazy with work. Uh, I think that was the really sweet part of it, too, is that I feel like a lot of the times when when he's trying to convince him to do something, and it's like, oh, but, but you know, I hurt my arm saving your life back then. It's not like he's trying to get him to do shitty things for him. It's like, ultimately, to do something, you know, for, for Bing's character, yeah. you know? Right. Like, yeah. it's like, you know... It could be like, hey man, I need five hundred dollars to buy drugs. Oh, remember that time I right. said, you know, it's yeah. like instead it's oh. more like we're at the theme park and I don't want to go on that ride with you. Oh, my arm! Like, all right, fine, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll go with you. Right. Oh, I love the moment where it's such a great like movement um, where he, he's saying like, I wouldn't want you to feel any kind of the first time like yeah. any special kind of responsibility. He's he's stroking his arm and he's like. Well, I do a single. No, it's a duet, and he's okay. We'll give it a try. And then when he goes to shake his hand, he pulls his arm out of the sling. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He shakes yeah. it, and then Big walks like takes three steps and like turns it's a around. Double and fake. Like, Did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just it's he's been milking it the whole time. It, it, it's just it's it's not irritating and it's not desperate or needy. It's kind of an endearing quality to that mm-hmm. character. It, it's. <laughs> Danny fucking K. It's funny that just made me realize for some reason. Um, I was I was reading an article one time and they were talking about like Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark and how in one of the earlier films that he gets some injury and like throughout the rest of the films like he's always making a reference to his arm left arm being in- injured and uh, I, I was like thinking about that and I was like I wonder if that's sort of like a reference to that you know like you know either when he you know when he's fixing something or like at one point he is in a sling. Um, another point where he's like, I think it's during Age of Ultron where he's talking about the whole idea of you know him making his stance on the Sarkovia chords. He's like, is it okay? Is it normal for your left arm to be numb? You know, and he's just always kind of or like you'll sometimes just see him rubbing his left hand or huh. something like that. Um, so I wonder if that was like a reference to that, you know, and almost like, um, you know, I could almost see if they were trying to draw a parallel between like him and Steve to like the two of them, you know, where Gosh, he's kind of the jokester, that's and cool. then Steve is like the straight man, army man kind of thing, and. 
So yeah, and Danny yeah. being as as well trained a dancer in addition to actor as mm-hmm. he's been would have been a fan of Danny yeah, Kaye. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's interesting. I'll have to, maybe I'll dig into that and see if like that's there's awesome. any like interview with him where he's like, oh yeah, I love Danny Kaye and. You know, especially if he had seen that, you know, just, oh, like, what if, what if I give my character this little, oh, yeah, I remember how I got injured, you know. <laughs> New headcanon, that's what it is yeah. for me. That's so cool. <laughs> It'd be funny, like, we should take scenes of them from the all the Avengers movies and, like, string them together and then use the audio of White Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> just put sisters over the top of it. <laughs> Oh, I love that when they, they that the playfulness of that sequence where they're lip syncing to that with the, mm-hmm. the uh, um, yeah. oh yeah that's great garden belt thing and just <laughs> and the just, fans and and you can see like Danny is having so much fun and he's hitting them with the fan mm-hmm. and it's like oh I don't think that that's scripted and you see Big's face just break and he's not even mad he's just enjoying it like for you to get a crooner to do that at that era it just. I, who made that call? Who showed him that script? I don't know. It was like Danny's like, hey, just come We're out. We're gonna here add zeros to this check until you say yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny. Like it, it, and that's the thing. Like he is that character, that that straight man character. But then there's little moments of that where he's just genuinely having a good time in conjunction with Danny Kaye. Yeah. It, it's it's such a fun movie. Sorry, I keep saying that. No, <laughs> you know what I I like about it the film because it's it's less about Christmas and you mentioned that earlier but even the Christmas part isn't super Christmassy because the part they talk about it's not all Christmas trees and Santa Claus it's you know let's do something nice for this man who did so much for us and they want the weather they want a white Christmas because it will mean wintertime fun and snow sports and people coming to his lodge you know to to spend the season It's, it's about the greater holiday and winter season more than it is about Christmas in particular Christmas just happens to be the thing that gets them there you know and that's really nice because it doesn't really hit you over the head with all the all the yuletide cheer it's just more it's more about a film about just doing something for a friend that happens to take place in the holiday season mm-hmm. yeah maybe you know and maybe this is the recovering catholic in me but i, I do feel like a lot of recovering. christmas movies <laughs> do do have a degree of guilt sewn into them yeah. you know like like this whole idea of like like um, Charlie Brown's Christmas, for example, you know, where it's like everyone's about all of the the you know the pageantry and the presents, and you know until um, that's uh, Linus, right, who finally lays it down and like this is what Christmas is about, and it's like you know you almost can't help but feel bad, like oh man, oh, that's right, I oh, okay, you're right, I'm supposed to be all into this religious part of it, okay, I can't just sort of enjoy the season. You know, but I feel like this doesn't do that. You know, they're doing something nice, but it's not because someone had to teach them a lesson and they right. were going about something the wrong way yeah. and they had to do it the right way. It was like it was their own thing, like their own inspiration to do something nice. The film would out work of nowhere, without you know? Christmas, even. Yeah, you could totally reverse yeah. it. Have the general run a, a, I don't know, a water park. Right, and it's mid-spring, and it's yeah. been and it's been raining for five months straight. Right, and so instead of a white Christmas, yeah. we're hoping for a Christmas blue sky. In July. Yeah. No, that's what it is. It's God, this, never um, say that phrase again. Um, I, no, actually, that's, that one's okay. That was a good show. It was um, meet me in St. Louis. We had our Christmas in July. Oh, okay. So it was our summer show and centers around Christmas the whole like, second half. <laughs> this theater company hurts you deep. <laughs> no, I mean, was, that one was good. That one was good. The memories are strong, but mostly good. Um, but, uh, no, it, it would work even reversed, you know, mm-hmm. for a blue, blue sky summer instead of a white Christmas. Right, Because it's, yeah. 
yeah, like you said, it's about just Doing people and their relationships yeah. and helping this guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Less than it is about the Christmas holiday specifically. Yeah. And what we're supposed to be doing at Christmas. Right. That's the thing. that It's, it's not like they put him in the position where he's in this failing business, right? It, mm-hmm. It's like, we didn't know this was a thing because we lost touch out of the war and yeah. that's what happened. And it's like... Yeah, this... like he's not going to keep in touch with all of the soldiers right. who are under him, you know? like. Yeah. And it's not even that the business is don't failing. Have Facebook in some <laughs> in some greater way, like that he's just not good at it or something. It's that there's just a there's just a dry season, right. and mm-hmm. that in that kind of industry, one bad season can kill you. Right. You know, it's the weather right. <laughs> of all things. We ate and then he ate. We slept and then mm-hmm. he slept. And then he got up and we didn't sleep for 48 hours. <laughs> just so many, like, gem lines like that. Just the cadence of how they deliver stuff is. Well, here, here's a little fun fact that has nothing to do with the Christmas portion of this. But um, I went back after watching this and, like, you know, Bing's voice was, like, really stuck in my head. And I, and I kind of really realized, like, I don't know, like, I always knew who he was but wasn't really conscious of it, I guess. So I had gone back and looked into, there was a, um, <clears throat> a Halloween cartoon we used to watch. I think it's it's a Disney thing. Oh, that's, that's on, right. I think it's that's like right. Mr. Toad and Ichabod or something like that. Ichabod but the, Crane, yeah. Yeah, so like the Legend of Sleepy Hollow portion, that's like about, you know, the Headless Horseman, Ichabod Crane, all that. And that's Bing Crosby who's like narrating that. And there are parts where like Ichabod Crane is singing and it's Bing doing his singing voice. And it was weird too because I found it like on YouTube and I, did, I couldn't find his name in the credits, so I had to, like, IMDB it. But, yeah, it turns out it was him. And I was just like, oh, man, like, this whole time, this was a part of my... You know, had I known this ahead of time, I would have included this maybe in the Halloween films, right. you know? But, like, um, so it was really cool to be like, oh, yeah, that, that voice that's stuck in my head since I was a kid, you know? And I think he does it in, like, Rudolph, where he does the snowman's voice, I think. Oh, does he? I think that, like, the stop-motion Rudolph movie, I think he's the, the snowman who narrates it, I think. Huh. So there's a bunch of stuff like that that he's done. It's just like, okay, that's why like this this felt so familiar and um and I'm not usually a huge fan of like the voice of singers. Like like I don't really like Frank Sinatra's voice, you know. Probably people are going to hate me after saying that, but I'm like I don't care. You know, it's just like, okay, it's I feel like he's half talking while he's singing when most of the time, which is probably what people like about him because they're picturing him with a glass of scotch in one hand and a cigar in the other hand. And that's Sitting the image. across the table from you. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's the, the vibe they want, whereas, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not into that, you know. Like, mm-hmm. But, like, with Bing Crosby, like, because his voice is tied into so many of these, these like, you know, holiday films mm-hmm. and things from my childhood, it's like, oh, okay, that, that explains it, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, I just, I love how, like, silky his voice is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost unnatural. Yeah. Yeah, it just, like, kind of falls out of him. Like, he's not, like, trying to sing, you know, which... You know, I mean, I, you know, there are singers that, that do have that effortlessness, but, like, I don't know, it's just, like, it's almost like he has to try to speak, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, his, it's almost like his normal way of, of producing sound would be singing. It's like, oh, wait, I, I have to talk now and not, you right. know, not that when he's talking it's awkward, but it almost seems like, you know, most people talking is what they do normally, and then, okay, now I am going to sing. It almost seems like he has the, the opposite, where it's like singing is his natural state. That's, like, similar to Freddie Mercury. Mm, yeah. Seeing him in interviews and stuff, he's, like, very kind of seepish and hiding yeah. behind his teeth and not <clears throat> yeah, yeah. not comfortable. And then 
dudes on stage. And it's just yeah, like, it's just like this is who I am. <laughs> it's yeah. The, the, the whole sitting speaking difference reminded me of a an episode of that old cartoon, Hey Arnold. Yeah, okay. I don't know if I no, you. I mean, yeah, you're my age, Joel, so I'm sure. But I know Tim, <laughs> I am older. Old well, man you're Tim. old. You're just old enough that you had different stuff growing up. So mm-hmm. I, I want to double yeah, check. Yeah, like but... Mario Kart. When we we discovered that about uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that I never really played. Episode that. one. That yeah. that was a huge eye opener. But um, Harold is this kid. He lives in a, a boarding house. In, With his um, grandparents. Yeah, like New Yorkish, or you know, yeah. that vague northeastern it's, urban it's, setting. But there are a whole bunch of interested main characters and people who live in this boarding house because it's a big place and they rent to people. One of them is this character whose name I cannot remember anymore. Maybe you can help me. The crooner, I can't remember. The Vietnamese character. Oh, I don't actually. No, I don't Um, remember. Because he's he's got this really thick accent and makes his English hard to understand for a lot of people. And at one point, a whole episode centers around him. Uh, Arnold catches him singing in the shower, and he sounds like a perfect cowboy. In country songs. Oh, that's right. I and so he like starts to develop this this incredible career singing country music with this <laughs> flawless cowboy drawl. Gotcha. But then when he speaks, and there's a specific line in the show, I think someone else from the boarding house is like, "How can he speak like that and sing like that?" Right. <laughs> but uh, I thought you were talking about the the episode where there was the keyboardist who wrote and the crooner who sang who were like had a falling out. And then they I do, came oh, back I do to remember, it. You remember that one? No. God, what a show. <laughs> right? What a show. Uh, that same, that same, and it touched on some more serious themes, too, because that same Vietnamese character, there was an episode later where he's looking for his daughter, and we find out that he handed, when her, his daughter was a baby, he handed her off to one of the last helicopters out of Saigon. Right. And then was finally able to make his way to the United States later, but hadn't yet found her. Jeez, what a what a show, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for the serious turn. <laughs> um, hey, Arnold! Departure is a good departure yeah. to make. <laughs> so while you guys were do- talking about this show that I've never seen, I was looking up on IMDb. So it wasn't him in Rudolph. That was. Um, so I went to see what else he had done. Um, Apparently not looking up fast enough. Right. You don't have Bur- your it was answer Burl ready. Ives. Burl Ives Burl was Ives. who did it there. Gotcha. Darn it, I didn't get to make it to my joke about the old man and technology, but okay. Um, it was buffering. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Can't type uh, fast enough on these little screens. I love you guys. I gotta play trombone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I especially love that part, the trombone part, because like my me and my sister, my youngest sister, will tease my mom because she does that all the time. Yeah. Like every time you give her something, she'll pull it away as far mm-hmm. as she can, and then she'll look, bring it close yeah. and look under her glasses <laughs> at it. And it's just like that's that sort of like which is it? Does it have to be far away or as close as possible? Yeah. And I've actually noticed. I think I've started doing that too with certain things because like yeah, because I'm very nearsighted. So if it's really small, I can see it. If it's like without my glasses. Yeah. But yeah, it is a it is a, a, a funny dynamic to be like where where can I see this you know and of course what we now that we know that she does that we make it worse by go mom look at this ah, <laughs> put it right in her face like where we know it's gonna be too close for her to see with her glasses and she'll like yank our hand away <laughs> good kids yeah okay, we're great. <laughs> but I. I if I can circle back to our start for a second, I did. I'm not. The sitting in the rain thing is kind of my own inside joke. It, 
Right. The, <laughs> which we're aware of. Well, yeah, which you guys are. But <laughs> listeners aren't. It's a, I mean, it's a mixed bag. I love it and I hate it in, in sort of equal measure. But, but by association, then, a lot of these big sort of grandiose musicals... Of I mean, a certain Of era. a certain era. They're just... They're all very similar in a lot of ways. Right. But I do like this one in that it doesn't remind me of Sin in the Rain, but, but to then extend that, in that it doesn't remind me of all the others. That it sort of stands apart. Yeah. And partly because of the lack of Christmassy, you know, saccharine sweetness, but also just because of the way the musical numbers are handled and the way the plot progresses and and the sort of natural straightforwardness about the plot is is that a lot of the others have these grandiose designs of people making it big or whatever and right. and this one is real simple it's just they run into this you know they're, they've got all these crazy machinations for business and for life and Danny wants to set Bane up and etc and it all just comes to a halt when they run into someone they used to know and they say you know what let's give him a hand and that's it that's your plot and I, everything about this film that sort of sets it apart is refreshing to me it's it's nice to watch one that's not like the we're gonna make it in Hollywood story. That story is in the <laughs> every. It's a time lapse. We've it's yeah. already it's come and gone. Any yeah. other musical, that's where it would start. Is like after they get back breaking into the yeah the uh, theater scene. But this is like <laughs> that they take that as rote, mm-hmm. and that that's it's yeah, not we're, fame. It's not everything's about this one shot. Like it's all about even when we already saw famous. that. And Freddie got fingered. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, Freddy got fingered the musical. How is that not something you've already written to? Okay, okay. Pull <laughs> my arm. Sausages. <laughs> Even oh my god, could you imagine the set dressing? The entire musical oh number called Just, Sausages. I would have sausages drop from the ceiling yes. in the audience. Oh, like that yes. would be part of the... Oh my god. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. I have, I'm so glad I've seen this movie. Um, <laughs> Sorry. What were we talking about? Where am well, I? You were saying like we skipped the Fame. part about like making it. Yes, even the parts doing. about that are not portrayed as glamorous. They're portrayed as hard work. Right. Because they're always talking about the next show and the next schedule and getting the cast in and what we're paying them and where the money's going and how much overhead. It's it's work, it's work, it's work. Right. All the way through. Even coming after the uh, Mandy number, right? They come back and Judy or uh, um, Betsy is playing the piano. Is like, was this? Were we dragging at this point? Like they're working it. This huge polished number that yeah. we saw. This massive thing with tambourines with faces on them, mm-hmm. right? Like, and then she comes back and is like, no, it, we're missing this. How are we? Mm-hmm. How yeah. are we getting it right or wrong? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was that was that was also refreshing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, the closest we ever come to any of that sort of Hollywood glamour uh, is when he goes on the television to make his appeal to the troops. And of course, they present him as, oh, yes, a man we all know well, you know, yeah. the famous Cisco. Here you go. And he shows up and says, hey, if anyone wants to please come up to this lodge and help out our old general, you know, thanks so much. But, like, he's putting on the act. When he steps off that, that soundstage again, that's it. He's back to, back to being him, back right. to work. Yeah. It never stops. And that was nice, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's also another nice sort of uh, parallel for me, which. This isn't as much the case anymore, but back when I was performing a lot more, you know, like that's for for a while. I and I think this is maybe why I like Christmas time so much now is because I'm not doing that. But right. for for so long, like December meant you have a shit ton more work to do right. because you're doing concerts for other people. Right. You're going to rehearsals. You're you know lugging around a bunch of drums. You're wearing a tux and moving shit while right. you're wearing a tux that you know, has quote-unquote shrunk since the last time you wore it, you know. 
And now you've hurt your back so you're trying to lift timpani up on a stage while your pants are too tight and all of the the pressure went to right in your back. You know, and it's like and it's like, oh, this is what Christmas is. Like, you know, sure you make some extra money, but that that goes towards Christmas presents, but you're basically like your free time is gone and before right. you know it, it's Christmas and then now it's just fucking winter and cold and right. take the Christmas lights down and get ready for no color for a few months. You know, so like that you know, that sort of what Christmas is like. Yeah, it's about rehearsals, it's about perfecting this thing, it's about doing all this stuff you know having so that people can see all the you're bringing joy to people you know i remember that one time at a concert being like like wow like look at how how happy everyone in the audience is how much they're enjoying all this music that we did and then you know there's the part of me that's just like that's so cool that i help bring that to those people but then it's like you know well who, who who's bringing christmas joy to me like <laughs> like i want some christmas joy too right. like i want i want to go to a concert but it's like that's the thing by the time you're done with the concerts you've had to perform in there were none left like that was that was it that was right. the concert season they're done do you, you really know? want to hear carol of the bells a dip like you just played right like yeah well and that's part of it too is like probably then i wouldn't because i just was part of it but but kind of like going forward from that point was just like yeah it'd be nice to have a christmas where i get to go to a concert and i think at one point i went to like my old high school's concert and it was like one of the best things because it it both reminded me of you know that that simpler time because then when you're doing a concert it's like instead of you're you're in school rehearsing with the band so instead of doing stupid schoolwork you get to play christmas right. music as opposed to after your fucking job drive all the way to you know 2 <laughs> hours away to go do a fucking rehearsal and then get back home at 11 o'clock at night and unload your drums you know like it was like you're, you're already there everything's there and you just get to put on this big spectacle so i got to kind of see that from the other end and that was probably one of the, the 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 sort of best Christmases Christmas experiences with with music specifically in performance that whole aspect that I had had in a while, um, and that's I don't know if that's necessarily partly why I, I mean part of it was because back when I lived in Rhode Island that was the orchestra I would play with and then I moved out here and I never really made as many performing connections and that's part of why um, actually a friend of mine has a church and sometimes I'll do a gig at his church. And those are fun because it's usually like one rehearsal in the gig and it's like all the instruments are there. I just show up with my right. mallets and play. So those are, are really fun when I get to do those. Um, and some of my friends get from... show up Mark and hit stuff and leave again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's no heavy lifting, you know. No cleaning. <laughs> yeah. Whack, whack. Um, you know, and, and half the time it's like, oh, uh, we don't really have a part for this. Can you just make something up? I'm like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I forgot about that, like high school and stuff, like playing in band and it's a jazz band has a set and it's mm -hmm. Christmas themed and yeah. the concert band has a set and it's Christmas it's themed and the orchestra yep. who's never in tune at my high school is like, it's <laughs> just, and then you have the, the choir concerts mm -hmm. and like just everybody is at school after hours and it's like, okay, we're, we're stressed and we have final exams before the, the Christmas holiday mm -hmm. and all of that's like forgot about that stuff mm -hmm. it's so it, i'm enjoying it so much more than i thought i was because <laughs> you always think i was like it's christmas it means saving and we want to make sure everybody has a gift and that mm -hmm. whole thing and it's just like not having to perform as a part of the season is a huge weight off your mind for yeah. sure mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it makes me feel bad for the people that they schlepped up to the uh, cabin in this. Right, it's like yeah. they had two weeks off paid. Yeah, and they're like, we're you're coming back and having to. They got an extra week's pay, so they 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 did double right. Double and it. it wasn't like a huge like pressure thing because there's four people in the audience, mm -hmm. but still you have to make sets, you have to costume and rehearse and all that stuff, but. 
<laughs> that length of gap means we should probably move on to <laughs> situational <laughs> movie recommendations. We're gonna auto-tune no, this shit out. No of one sitting here Tim <laughs> just giggling uncontrollably. The people most removed from being composers. <laughs> That's uh, a little day. We bring you the death of Tim Gerard in slow motion. <laughs> What's funny though is like it actually reminded me. I, would, I found a, a, a clip on Facebook where someone put together this compilation of all John Ralphio scenes from Parks and Recreation, <laughs> and it's just all stuff like that of just him like improvising these little melodic lines for whatever he's saying. Like one of them is like, "Thank God my grandfather just died," because now I'm flushed with cash. <laughs> it's just like all like little clips of him like that, like just ridiculous things. And... Uh, <laughs> anybody have a? A topic? You know I don't. No. Do you, you seem like you have one. From the I, way you asked that. I had but, one. Oh. But I've I've lost it. Okay. I can, well, I was gonna say like, for this era of movies, like the the '40s, what would be your favorite movie from that era, or what the, what when you're trying to get into this like maybe not sing song, but like this golden era in quotation marks of the big uh, of, musical, yeah, or not even the music, just this era of filmmaking. What would be the movie that you would show someone? Uh, uh, that's a much more difficult question than musical. Um, hmm. give, give us a moment, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, it would it'd probably be a Jerry Lewis film. Um, I'm trying to decide which one, because they're so good. Um, probably either The Errand Boy or um, The Bell Boy. Um, Errand Boy specifically because of the strange nature of its production where it was basically written, produced and shot and then out to distributors within like two months. Oh wow. Because uh, Jerry had to, he had a contractual obligation, he was working on another film and they said hey you need to do this within a certain amount of time or we're going to penalize you and he basically wrote this crazy collection of sketches and great iconic comedy moments and I mean produced, directed, starred in choreographed the whole thing and yeah that's probably what I would show is the, the mm-hmm. Aaron Boy Bell Boy is also really really good but Aaron Boy is unique in showing or showcasing the the ability of those filmmakers of that time mm-hmm. with the studio backing and that level of commitment to putting something cool out so that that's probably I guess, I guess rephrasing the category is like the golden age of filmmaking from like the 40s 50s what would you Jay Lewis was all early 60s right is it, probably is it weird that I'm like jealous that I want someone to tell me you have two months to produce a movie like I mean I guess you know I'm also assuming that he didn't have like a full time 40 hour a week job like his job was to be an actor and producer and all that stuff so to just say like okay these next two months like this is what I'm doing and just make it happen you know and to be able to like do that you know not be like okay somehow I guess maybe I can take some vacation time or maybe I can to finish this project okay well okay maybe I can you know stay up all night working on it because I don't have to go to work the next morning you know like just that 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 type of that type of life that type of schedule is like I think the thing I've always dreamed about where it's like you know you probably have maybe two weeks where you're just like god damn it I've got nothing done because right. 
I, I don't have any and then it clicks and then you just fucking for six weeks straight you're just burning through this thing right. and like getting it done and like everything can just stay the fuck out of your way and you can actually like produce something wonderful you know that's yeah maybe it, in, instead of an error someone threatened to sue well, me no, right? I, in, in keeping with my theme of doing more than one answer yes I, I have this is the longest running segment there's a part of me that wants to say um Night of the Hunter Okay. Which is a noir, a noir right? just to show what you can do with some basic sets and what is essentially four cast members. I mean, there are others, but this really centers around four and like some lights <laughs> and a good plot. But as as pat as it is, Citizen Kane, I we haven't watched it yet on the podcast. I'm going to show it to both of you. I think it's phenomenal. It, we've talked before about films and other things that get more influential or important for their time but don't hold up as entertaining anymore Citizen Kane is not one of those one one could say it's the Citizen Kane of, of movies, movies. <laughs> yes yes I know it's sorry like, no but you're right but the thing is it's, I watched it and it was just great because the plot is so beautifully written and intricately done and every inch of it is so well shot that it's just like okay sure it's old and it happens to be in black and white but that even without the influence of the non-linear narrative and all the cool cool filmmaking techniques he helped pioneer and popularize, even though those are normal nowadays, the story is just so damn good, it's still fun to watch. Um, and then for musicals, anything Fred Astaire. I just love Fred Astaire. I, he's my favorite of all those old dancers. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable to watch him just do anything even vaguely associated to music. It's unnatural. It's the type of thing... I would aspire to be as a fourth as good as he was at dancing at anything in my life, and I would be happy. And it's just... His films, also, he's got so many of them. You can just pick one up. It probably won't be super long. It won't drag on forever. It'll be nice and, you know, a, a good length. It'll give you the gist of what those musicals were like. Right. It'll have phenomenal talent opposite him, whether it's Ginger Rogers or not. And uh, it'll be fun. And there you go. You know, it, it doesn't have to be the... The sand in the rain, but you know, right. the the three hour monstrosity. You know, it's just a nice, straightforward. Here's some talented people. Here's a plot that lets them dance a couple of times. Right. Please have fun. Enjoy your evening. Great. It sort of sums up nicely often everything featuring... I love about those musicals. Mm -hmm. Was it often featuring Ginger backwards and in heels? <laughs> yeah, I remember those. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly. Certainly, I've seen in real life held her uh, pair of her shoes. Really? Actually, someone I knew That's cool. at the at the theater company got some oh, and wow. brought them in and showed them to us. Her feet were very tiny. No kidding. Uh, <laughs> I've seen, held, uh, smelled a pair of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! <laughs> so much. But talent. I mean, like, really uncomfortable. Like you hear about, you know, oh yeah, women. It's like a small woman. Like oh yeah, I mean, like like tiny. Like our um, one of the people who was there at the theater with me is a small woman. She's really tiny. She's got tiny feet. Her feet were just too big to fit into Ginger's shoes. Wow. It was it was impressive. Speaking of, I mean, uh, Judy Haynes in this, that actress is so tiny. Ooh, yeah, As we mentioned is. her. Like, <laughs> like unhealthily so. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't know how you get a waist that... I was just about to yeah. say that for Ginger, you don't notice it on screen, mm -hmm. necessarily. I mean, I don't, I don't know if maybe Fred Astaire wasn't the largest of men either, but that yeah. between them, Wavy. just, like, 
there's nothing unusual, you know. Like, she was more proportionate, maybe. Where it's sure? like, yeah, I, I don't know. I think costuming has a big part of it too. Because oh, yeah. I mean, who yeah. oh, in this? She the corsets are like they, I don't. You could put your hand yeah. around her waist. It was real insane. hourglass. Yeah. Going I was on, like, yeah. where are her organs? Yeah. <laughs> like, like how are they teeny glass? Yeah. Like, yeah. Glass. yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Where are her <laughs> organs? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so sorry too. Sorry, right? <laughs> sorry for derailed there. Recommendation. No. no, that's okay. I don't. I don't really have one. I can't. Um, well, maybe like bare bones production or like uh, comedy duo. Probably type. some of the old. I mean, uh, this this may have been one of the oldest things because I'm I'm trying to remember like I can't really place what decades certain things are like. Um, yeah. Thank you for. I I should admit that because I don't know yeah. dates. <laughs> but I mean, it, we're so far ahead now that that whole stretch of time is there are a lot of things that are very. Not thematically, but just that they have the same feel about right. them. Yeah. The sort of grand entertainment production sort right. of thing that, that spanned a huge stretch of time. Right. So that's that's fair. <laughs> I, I mean, Sound of Music, uh, Meet Me in St. Louis was 1944, but then Sound of Music was the 50s. I think White Christmas was the early 50s or late 40s. Yeah. And then, um, oh, I was just while the Jerry Lewis stuff was the 60s, right? right? Like, there's 60s, a huge yeah. span of time here right. for this this sort of thing, so. Yeah, it's the, yeah, it's I mean, the maybe, Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe... Yeah, this time you can't pick the Matrix. I know, I know. <laughs> the one time. I, I feel like maybe, probably one of the older things I've watched, which, uh, if I had to guess, I'd say maybe 60s or 70s, but... um. Sure. Like some of the Pink Panther movies. Ooh. Oh yeah, um, that's like seventies. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and especially as that's far okay. as old, oh. yeah, <laughs> it's, old it's old for me. Yeah, but um, those are so good. Yeah, oh, my just God. like the way a shot in the dark is a masterpiece. And, and 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 it's one of those two where it's like I feel like it probably led to people trying to mimic that style uh-huh. and not being able to pull it off. And like somehow he was able to pull it off. Like. Like I, I never saw the Steve Martin versions of it, but I'd seen like either previews or like was it there was some commercial where he was doing his Crusoe character. But your like, thing about not pulling it off is perfect. Although in their case, it's not because they weren't able to, but they sort of chose not to. It was like we don't want to too closely mimic the original. You know, okay. we don't want to be accused of just copy pasting here. So they did try some new things, and they just weren't quite there. Yeah. Um, the Steve Martin ones are still great. It's still a lot of fun. But they don't reach the same heights yeah. that the old ones do. But even just kind of watching him like try to do the accent, it's like, yeah, like this you're, Steve you're trying Martin Steve Martin yeah, trying yeah. to do the accent. You know, it's like it would have worked as an SNL skit, you know, right. but not as a full movie. You Steve know? Martin in Lowe's reminds me vividly of Leslie Nielsen in the um, Naked Gun. Naked Gun. Films. Oh, okay. Actually, or Rowan Atkinson in Johnny English. That kind of yeah. like, yeah, which is is sort of why they didn't quite reach the same heights as the original Pink Panthers because like I said they tried to to not just do the same thing yeah. but to give it something anything new and it's very admirable and again the films are still fun they're still good but just yeah. that it sort of if it had worked we would have had something to really stand alongside the old films yeah. but if but it didn't then you know that's the nature mm-hmm. of filmmaking yeah I think I'm, I admire them for taking the risk mm-hmm. and not just copy pasting the old films yeah for sure <clears throat> But just like you know, in, in comparing it back to like, you know, sort of slapsticky type movies like nowadays, like I almost see, in a in a weird way, I might get backlash for this, but like, to me, the the American Pie films almost seem like they're part of this lineage, you know, of like these ridiculous situations 
and lots of yeah. kind of like you know Farce. like you know yeah. yeah and it's like the you know kind of the main character kind of doesn't really know intend to do anything awkward but just kind of happens to him kind of bumbles through stuff um and i feel like you know maybe that's you know it's it's removed enough where it is its own thing but i also remember when those films came out it was like something hadn't really been done like that in a while and i think that's what kind of made it like oh like here's this this really kind of you know raunchy i mean it didn't the pink panther didn't have the raunchiness to it but the, the main thing i'm getting at is you know I'm, I'm i'm a person where i have a hard time appreciating old stuff because um like if it's if it's dated if it's something that's been improved upon you know kind of like what we were talking about like with, with like with the shining or other stuff like that where it's like yeah. oh well we've seen these things done again and parodied so it's hard to go back and appreciate the original or um and i think you know. what hurt with the shining was that it was it's in that because once something gets old enough, like Citizen Kane old, mm-hmm. you know, the oldness is now excusable because it's just so damn old. Mm-hmm. So as long it's as kind of removed like, as long whatever. as the story is a good one to follow, yeah. you're okay. But that the shining is is new enough that it feels dated without feeling for me at least classic yet. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. because it's things that are still happening in current film. Mm-hmm. Whereas if someone else went and made an old film in the style of Citizen Kane, like the artist, it would be purposefully retro. You know, mm-hmm. but like I, I feel like with a lot of older films that are that were f- quote unquote funny for the time, I probably have a hard time appreciating them because it's just like, well, I understand why that was funny then, yeah. but we have since had Freddie got fingered. So for, for me to think that's funny and then go back to something that was funny in the 40s, it, it has to really be good. You know, so, so, you know, that's you know, the yeah, highest even, mountain of comedy. <laughs> Sausage. But, well, not, not to say the highest, but the no, most extreme. I, but like, so, so, extreme. To, so to, for me to watch something like the Pink Panther and be like, this is still funny. Like, this isn't me going, okay, I understand why this was funny back then because people were, you know, so much more like proper and like the slightest little you know but but like no it's just like still legitimately funny you know it's done well and it's not like um it's not so sort of like ham-fisted you know it's it 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 is but it isn't you know it's it it walks that line enough where it's and i guess yeah you brought up you brought up the naked gun stuff yeah like i feel like that's a lot like that too so maybe that's also in that same rough lineage with like you know american pie at the other end where it's like yeah, this this character's being ridiculous, but it's not realistic, but you're accepting it, but it's also not so ridiculous that you're just like, okay, this is stupid, you know? Um, but anyway, like, I just I just remember watching it and expecting not to like it, because I'm like, this is going to be too old. Um, and I think the first time I was introduced to it was um, my roommate in college got, the, I think he got, like, the full collection for Christmas one year or nice. something like that. And he showed me one of, I think it's from the movie where after the actor had died and they put together a final film where it was basically like oh Clouseau is missing and we're looking for him and it was all like clips of all the earlier films that they had tied together so it was it's kind of like yeah it's like a collection of a bunch of the best moments of like a best of movie that he that he wasn't even starring in because he wasn't alive anymore um but it's one of the scenes where he comes home and you know how Cato is supposed to like attack yeah. him and everything and, and this is, I think, what I would show someone, too, where it's just, like, it seemed to be, like, the height of that. 
and you know how every time like there's the scene with him and Cato, but it's like you've also got to up it every time every movie you know it's yeah. like and and this might have been one of the later ones but it's just like the way it plays out and he's looking for Cato and can't find him and i forget which movie it's actually from but he like lays down in his bed and he has a canopy bed and like Cato rips open the top of the canopy and just like fucking screams at him and they're screaming back and then he just rips and falls on him and the bed collapses and they're running around at one point you know Clouseau grabs nunchucks and he's like flipping them and, and you could tell it's sped up to look more impressive but it like just makes it look sillier and then at one point like Cato comes running at him with a bow staff and like Clouseau just hits him in the back of the head and breaks the nunchucks and he impales the TV with the bow staff and it's just like this like oh my god like it's all these like little Idiot simple fight. Like, yeah, yeah it's just like it's so good though uh, um yeah so that's that's it it was it was very comforting to me to know you know like i said like it's hard for me to look back and imagine that old stuff could be as entertaining you know and um you know i'm, I'm like this with with certain music too where i can listen to certain music and go okay i appreciate what they did for the history of music right. but i'm not going to sit and listen to an entire album of this artist and, mm-hmm. and really enjoy it. Or, you know, even with some classical music, it's like that, you know, where it's like, yes, academically I can understand and, and, you know, analyze this, yeah. but I'm not going to come home at night and be like, Oh, let's put on this recording. Cause this will, this will really, I'll really quote unquote, enjoy this, you know? And to be entirely fair, it's what Citizen Kane is for a lot of people. They watch it and they see the influence and the importance right, and go, okay, yeah. that was nice, but I don't care. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's I, I loved it. I would argue mm-hmm. it's worthwhile, but yeah, it's, everyone's going to have different old things that they still love mm-hmm. and then things that they just appreciate for what they are, right. but don't love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. A good one. I'm glad you guys liked it. it Again, always, always being the first of the queue is is fun because I get to kind of set the tone. But it's also like nerve wracking because like oh, they like it. <laughs> <laughs> We've been okay except for The Shining. Oh, <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can have a you can have a different opinion. You're wrong, but it's a different yeah. opinion. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was one like you know like from what we were just saying like that was one that I, I had seen before. But like this time, I was watching it kind of more on an academic level, I think, and it was it was so it was interesting to kind of analyze it in that way, yeah, like as watch. the for for a, a form as a, for a like horror film and stuff like that. And um, what was I? I was watching some other YouTube clip that was talking about something having to do with it, and it showed the scene where Jack's like just standing there with the turtleneck, just like staring, and he's kind of half gonna smile, not really. And then they don't ever put that scene in any context because I think the two are, like the mom and the kid are outside playing. But they're, like, in the maze, so I don't think he can see them. Right. So he's not, like, looking at them playing, and he's just, like, staring off, and they just show that scene for, like, a minute, and then it goes away, and that's it. Right. And I think that was, in, in, like, that was one of my favorite scenes, because that was just pure Jack, you know, like, yeah. that was just him being him, and just like, God damn it, that was, that was chilling. <laughs> new fragrance from Calvin Klein, pure <laughs> Jack. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, thanks for watching. Yeah, yeah. thank you for bringing it. Yeah. So uh, that wraps up the first of our holiday special episodes. Special episodes. Um, these are coming to you. I need to get you a pop filter, homie. <laughs> these are coming to you once a week. Uh, we're going to finish up our December episode is the last of our favorite films cycle, Ooh. which finishes with The Matrix, which you've already heard if you're listening to this. Yeah. Right. This comes out after that. Yeah. Um, and then we have once every Sunday again, you know, holiday, holiday, uh, holiday films. And then our cycle recap at the end of December 
before we lead on into 2019. There's a lot of films we could talk about in that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that recap is going to cover our favorite film cycle and both our Halloween and holiday special episodes. Oh, damn. Special episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have a P in your word. <laughs> I know, that's fair. Yes, he does. Spe- special oh, but yeah. it's it's a light p it's yeah. a light p <laughs> i was gonna no, edit out the first there's no the, i in friends <laughs> there's no i in dick <laughs> on that note it's a dick in your eye <laughs> anyway so you know that, that, re- you know that saying that they say like oh, there's no i in team yeah. You know, I always thought like a good response that'd be, but there's an I in win. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, if you've got, if you're that one player who carries the team, there's and also a, shoot you down. Also a me in team if you rearrange letters a bit. That's um, true. There's also but, uh, meat in meat. team. <laughs> anyway, that that recap is going to be a big one, I think. Yeah. Um, big old. So nasty uh, one. the next, we're announcing the holiday films, right? Yeah, they already know. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I'm up next, and it's A Christmas Story. Woo! Which is, uh, Joel, you mentioned this was sort of your, like, classical white family Christmas tradition film. No, this is... White Christmas was. White, I mean, yeah, Christmas Story is is mine. Yes, (laughs) yeah. Right. And this is, this is, will be my first viewing of it all the way through. I'm so excited for that. that's gonna be great. Oh my god. I love those movies so damn much. I'm gonna counteract the nostalgia glasses Uh, as much as I can. Please do, (laughs) but but I'm excited. You know, I I wonder if if A Christmas Story was... was, My arms down. (laughs) I wonder if that was the first movie that I, that I ever started, like, being able to quote because I'd seen it so many times I because that just dog became dare you because <laughs> yeah. that became a thing with like especially like in high school like, that so was just many. what I did is just most of the stuff I said were was quotes Christmas from movies well no but were quotes from movies but I think that trend started with this movie <sighs> of just like having so many memorable quotes and being able to like regurgitate them that it just became a thing that my brain did okay when you see a movie here are these lines and that you know whenever your friends <sighs> say something this is what you respond with not an actual thought of your own but a line from a movie <laughs> <laughs> Man. Holy shnikes. Yeah, um, Tommy Boy was mine. <laughs> that would have been a good situational movie recommendation. What was the first movie that you started quoting at oh, yeah. That's a good one. I don't know if I would have an answer for you, just because I'm not sure I could recall see, that. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I saw the musical before I saw the film. No, I know. So... I that still still wouldn't work. <laughs> Ditto for Beauty and the Beast. I saw the show before I saw the film. Really? Yeah. Huh. All right, anyway, <laughs> that's enough of that. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, if you haven't been scared away, we hope you'll come back next episode for for endless quoting of a Christmas story as Tim and I just quote it back and forth with each other nonstop. And Joel goes, "Hey, but about when they said this?" Be like, "No, no, you're misquoting. No, I was <laughs> Actually, this. this is the line. word for word." <laughs> oh man. Uh, thank you for joining us, listeners. Hope you'll be back next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Hey listeners, we appreciate you tuning in for our podcast. We're now available on iTunes if you'd like to check us out there. We'd be glad to have you subscribe. We'd also love to hear your feedback, whether it's a comment, review, or anything else. You can reach us all through our official Nerds That Geek emails, which you can find on the bio page at nerdsthatgeek.com. Or, if you can find us on social media, I'm on Instagram at scott underscore w underscore murray. And then on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at joelt18. And on Instagram, I'm the Tim Gerard, and on Twitter, I'm at Tim Gerard. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you'll come back for more. Thank you.